0: Hey everyone, I'm Sam Shaheen and you're listening to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. Last month, I visited Scarpa's North American headquarters to talk with CEO Kim Miller. You can check out episode 79 of Gear 30 to hear about Kim's background, Scarpa's philosophy of ski boot design, the new Mistrali XT, and more. And here in part two of the conversation, I talk with Kim about a brand new boot from Scarpa, the F1LT, that will be released in the fall of 2020. So in addition to that big reveal, Kim offers his predictions for the ski industry and how Scarpa is positioning itself for the future, discusses which materials they use for their boots and why, shares the lessons learned from the Mistrali 2017 recall, and then Kim provides a close look at the F1LT. To see the new Scarpa F1LT for yourself, head over to the Blister YouTube channel to watch a video of this conversation. And now, let's get to part two of my conversation with Scarpa CEO, Kim Miller. Oh, we've talked about the Mistralli XT a little bit, but let's talk about the Mistrali RS. Um, over the past few years, this boot has, well, not even over the past few years, I mean, the Mistrali series has been one of the most popular touring boots in the world for a long time. And with the addition of, the new design RS to the line I think that that boot is, has been exploding I mean we see it everywhere um, how has the popularity of that boot kind of kind of driven your direction
1: in the line that's a leading question uh, <laughs> and I guess that's why you're supposed to be doing following the sport not just our boot line we see what people are doing with our boots we see where they want to go and we see what they want to use their product. our boots on, their systems. So it brings us back to an interesting point where we were a number of years ago when we introduced the freedom family of boots. And um, you might even wonder what's going on with the freedom family. It kind of went away. Um, So I think it's important to talk about all of this in context. The first thing that we see, predict, you know, looking at trend lines is that people are going to do more and more Alpine style, um, more aggressive skiing on AT setups, what we classically define as AT setups, even though the parameters of that have been widened quite a bit. They're gonna need more boot f- to keep doing that. They're asking, they're putting him on bigger skis and now they're using bigger bindings. So everything's gotten clicked up a couple of notches here. The XT is a great answer to what we think is the next step above the, the RS. And as, as you've mentioned, you know, both RS and NXT have relevancy right next to each other. The, what goes beyond that is um, I'm really interested to see what happens w- with the soul norms and how they shake out and what's going on in the binding world. The Freedom, the Freedom Family Boots was really pretty revolutionary. I, I, I can say that because we didn't really see a boot that was... Uh, that had that, at that time, that blend of uphill features, uh, backcountry features, as well as alpine skiing characteristics. And um, the way we did that primarily was through overlap cuff, more traditional uh, three or four buckle configurations, and an alpine or interchangeable sole system. Well, the interchangeable sole became... the the point of discussion because we saw a grip walk, we saw a walk to ride and what ensued was confusion and this became, these were really brand dominated. This is our system. This is their system and it started, everybody started jockeying position not as in, in the sport sense but in the brand sense. We love the Freedom family and it's still, there are so many freedoms out there. We're still selling tons of souls for them. We're not, I'll just say it like this. We have not walked away from that category by any means, but sometimes it's good to wait and listen and look and see what is it really that we would like to put out there. A freedom that's 1520 grams that skis like uh, a real Alpine boot with grip walk. That could be one direction that we consider because obviously that's what is going the trend lines, the, where the consumers are going. We also see a lot of Alpine companies coming in. That's the most noticeable change into the market. In Alpine Touring, we're the number one brand. My philosophy as a CEO is, if we're not in the top three brands in a certain space, we either need to be, or we need to seriously figure out why we're not. That's when I, I can measure success a lot of different ways, but one is by consumer acceptance and where you see our boots, Who's using them? Two is just purely the market share numbers and how many boots we sell versus our competitors. And three is really what is the 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 people that are on the very edge, the leading edge of our sport that are doing things that people wouldn't th- haven't thought about yet. You know, and that a lot of that's happening in the backcountry, I think, and and on big mountains somewhere. So. We see the need for that boot. We also, and then an extension of that, but in that general briefing of what it could look like, I, I would say that there's other things that are really important to us right now. For example, uh, we would like to make boots out of peabags. Are new. We would like to make boots out of material that's made from the castor bean. That's based on a total total sustainability that actually props up an economy of farmers in India that have figured out through a lot of really interesting work that um, it's really not just about ski boots. (laughs) It's a much bigger discussion about how do we bring um, sustainable farming to a country that is undergoing a lot of really serious uh, climate issues? like the rest of the world. And um, through that initiative, the Pragati initiative is what it's called, p are new came forth. Which is about as a cool a thing is if I if I tell you that the Mistrale, I tell you all the great things about it and I say and that's made out of plant oil. That's pretty compelling. It's pretty cool. So, I have a dream of that. Like I would like to be able to say no no our boots ski like crazy but they're based on a sustainable production plan and supply chain of materials and you can feel really good about that and it's we're dragging our suppliers along with us you know people who make liners and soles and buckles it's harder for them for sure but if it's all the boot great if it's part of the boot Let's do what we can do. And it's also a statement about what's important to the world right now, especially snow sports. We won't need any of this stuff (laughs) if if we don't have a place to use it. So um, I I have a lot of really great ideas we do, I say. And some are ideas. Some are strategies. Some are really just visions of what the future could look like. I think I'm getting philosophical on you. I'll say that for the end. But... (laughs) Uh, we need to think about the next generation. Uh, we need to think about the world and sustainability. We need to think about access to snow sports because these are all really important things, not only because of the viability of the sport as a business, but I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about the, the, what the impact we have on the world and the legacy of a brand like Scarpish, that should be part of it. It, it, it absolutely has to be part of it. So we want to do good things all the way around. But I would hesitate to tell you too much more because at some point I'm probably saying things I should keep secret for a while. But <laughs> we have a lot of, uh, we, we, we're looking out, at all we, we try to look out two or three seasons at all times because it's, it's like that old saying in hockey, you know, if you're looking at where the puck is now, you've got it all wrong. You have to think about where is it going to be. And that's big part of my job and the design team in Italy It's like, where is the, the puck going to be in three years? It's going to be quite different from where it is today. If you think about where we were three years ago, a lot of changes and good changes for the most part. If I think about the big tipping points and events that change skiing, uh, snow sports, but particularly skiing in this case, I can say that when we introduced shaped skis, that was really a game changer. The Marker Duke was a game changer. The plastic telemarket were game changers. All of these things were. The whole thing started going a different direction. The whole sport and the whole mentality about what's possible. That's where I like to. That's where I like to play out there, and that's why I work for Scarpa because they're willing to do that. And let me let me do that as well in the big sandbox. So. So I, I think then the, the obvious next question is,
0: what do you see happening in the next three years?
1: Yep. Yeah. I I see a number of things that are happening, and we've talked, we've touched on a lot of them. I'll take it by segment, all right? We're going to see ski mode continue to grow, not just as a competitive sport, but as, as a great way to get exercise in the morning If if you live in a ski town or even if you don't. It's like running or riding your bike in the winter. But so much better because you can slide home when you're done. I think you'll continue to see that become more of a recreational sport, more in the backcountry realm and touring. We're going to see more and more people going into that mid-category of touring because they just want to really tour. We say touring and we mean we're going to hike up something and ski down it. But if you think about the alternative cross-country skiing, more people were looking to get outdoors for fitness. Alpine touring is a much easier way to do that for a lot of those people. They may not know how to cross country ski. They may not have. Um, they may not want to learn how to do that. They're used to alpine skiing. They can just get on an alpine touring setup. And I mean, how many of your friends that are good alpine skiers have you taken out and they're really nervous? And I said, look, just put the heel down and lock it in and. Alpine ski. And they're like, Oh, it's the same. I'm like, yeah, that's why it's called Alpine touring. (laughs) (laughs) We're on the tour Alpine part now, but I see a lot more people coming into that. And um, then the, the crossover boot, the one boot, one world dream that we all think about. And it's not a dream. It's a reality. I'm going to Europe. I'm not carrying a quiver of gear. I'm carrying one pair of boots, and I want to be able to tour, walk, do a hut trip, free ride in real free ride places where it's adult skiing. You know, I don't want a floppy touring boot and a wimpy touring ski. I need real, real setup for that. Um, I think that's that's. I think we're pulling most of our new consumers from Alpine. I really believe that, um, and then segments from all the other. Parts of the market, I see a lot of crossover skiers coming, people crossing over from uh, riders crossing over to skiing. It's because they realize, wow, you know, the independent foot action in the backcountry and not having to deal with split boards, and trying a new thing. Like it's a, it's a, it's a big house. There's lots of rooms. You know, go in every one of them, check it out, because there's really cool things waiting for you in there. From snowboarding to alpine touring to skimo, try something new this year if you want my advice. Do something you haven't done this year, and um, we'll help you make it possible. We're putting demos out all over the place. The shops love this discussion. Just walk in and say, I want to try something new and see what they – like Like a good Italian restaurant. You don't look at a menu. They tell you what you're having (laughs) for dinner. (laughs) This is what we're serving, and it'll be good. So – I think that we're going to see more young people coming into it, which is really important. I'm really concerned about the access because alpine skiing is cost prohibitive to too many people. I grew up in a family, in a neighborhood, in an economy, in a city that Denver, that not many kids skied because they just couldn't afford it. I was really lucky. I had some a family friend that took me. Then I went to a school that had a, a ski club, and then I got to I learned how to ride the Eskimo ski train. <laughs> I did it all, and whatever it took, I was going to try to get up there and ski. I I skied at Bertha Pass. I skied at, at Eldora. The mega resort is not our friend when we're trying to teach our kids how to ski. Those little ski hills are. That's. The magic, you know, that's where you could still, you know, have a day with the family. And, and uh, we need to think a lot about that and just access the product as well. More and more women, more and more um, people from different backgrounds. We're going to see all of that. We see a lot of most of the diversity in the snow sports is coming from the snowboard side of the business. And um, we're, but we're seeing more and more really awesome kind of uh, migration into the backcountry. There's a real need for people to get into nature right now, and that's something you're not going to find in mechanized skiing. So this idea of being able to just put on some gear and go out and s- slide around—that's awesome. If you go up to caribou or go up to the uphill to uphill at Eldora in the morning it's pretty cool who you're going to see up there and look at the areas in Colorado that are offering uphill now. It's pretty significant and areas we never thought would think that was even a good idea. I remember when it was, there were ski areas that wouldn't let you telemark. (laughs) They wouldn't let you (laughs) telemark on the ski because they didn't understand it. Uphill wasn't that different, but they've been much faster to adopt. And um, I think, Mostly because that's what their customers want them to do. And uh, that most people don't do things unless they actually feel really compelled through you know some important action. And when your customers tell the tell you they want you to do something, it's worth listening to that. And ski resorts became so so much more than snow sports, you know, And I think getting back to kind of some of this core, the idea of hiking uphill, just being able to how you do it. How do climbing skins work? These are enigmas to a lot of people that are, it's pretty fun to take them out and show them. So um, did I, I said try something new this year. Teach somebody, somebody something new also. And then you will have fulfilled your really important roles as a member of the snow sports community, I think. And uh, give good feedback to, your, to the people that make your gear. We want to hear what you think. We really want to hear what you think. Because that's how we make ourselves better and how we improve things in our products. You're and the users are are the kings and queens of our world, you know. I think that's how we should be consumer-centric.
0: So we recently did a epic three-part podcast with Matt Manzer from Atomic. It was three over three hours long of every single possible thing you could want to know about Alpine ski boots and we had an almost an entire hour devoted specifically to plastics. And I know we touched on this earlier with the um, carbon infused Gorillamid and some of the, some of the castor bean oil plastics as well. But I wanted to give you a chance maybe to to just talk about the different plastics used in the line and where you might use one plastic for, or another for a specific performance, for example.
1: Well, that's a really good question. I mean, materials are really everything. It's a huge part of the the technology and the technological advancements that we have. And it's not just plastics, it's um, carbon too. We, we can't forget carbon because we integrate um, them in different ways. So let's just start with the basic choices of menus of plastics that we have. There's polyurethane, the standard heavy plastics that you would use for most Alpine rental boots, for example. Pick up a pair of rental boots and you'll see one of the first most noticeable thing that's really heavy. It also isn't particularly strong, so you have to make the boot with a thicker wall, but it's easy to work with and it's inexpensive. So perfect for a rental boot. Um, we don't use polyurethane for the most part. It doesn't really fit into our world, but it's a very, when, when used well and a good design, totally functional. And you see that on the high end of racing boots as well, where weight's not a big factor, stiffness is. Then we move into more of the, and there's lots of variations on this. So let me speak specifically to what we're doing. Then we move into the family of p which is a wholly different kind of material. It's an elastomer that has qualities that you'll never get out of polyurethane. First of all, it's much stronger. It You can use the material with much thinner wall thicknesses. It's much more durable and flexible in a much greater range of temperatures. So, if you take a boot to Denali, it's minus 40. Minus 40C and minus 40F are the same exact point. A lot of polyurethane boots would could crack very easily in those conditions. P-backs is known not just for in the in the sports industry. It's known it's used for the automobile industry, mostly high-end cars, bumpers, for example. So that if you tap into something in the cold day, it doesn't blow the bumper up. So PBAX is our main go-to material and has been for years. In 2007, we introduced PBAX our new. The supplier Arkema did, and so that's been on the on the palette since then. And we use these selectively. Then we started talking about, and we can blend PBACs to any stiffness level we want to. So there's the raw material, and then the chemistry you use to create a different stiffness.
0: Well, and, and from from a performance or a materials perspective, how does the traditional peabacks differ from the recycled or the castor bean oil? It's it's
1: very similar. We're working right now. It's on getting, it's very similar to regular PBACs. In fact, we don't see a ton of reasons why we should be using anything but PBACs are new. There was a time when we weren't able to make our new as stiff as we could regular PBACs, but we've solved a lot of those problems, and we've solved them in two ways, through chemistry within PBACs and then adding another material, grillamid. So we kept kind of... Turning up the volume, grillamid became uh, is a material that is much stiffer, as most of us have come to know it. It tends to be a little more a little more brittle, it, but it still has the technical term ductility that's totally appropriate for a touring boot. So, um, and we we test all of this in a laboratory. When I say brittle, I mean at minus thirty, a boot that's been Refrigerated at minus thirty, dropping a steel rod on it for from three meters high, and polyurethane shatters. PBX, you might punch a hole in it. Um, it's pretty graphic. The differences. Grillamid is where we were really able to start. That was a big step for us because we could start making boots stiffer without making more, adding more material or supplementing structural. Members like I beam construction and so you can do it through materials and construction design and we're doing trying to do both The goal is to make the the boot as thin walled as possible Wherever possible, but then buttress it up when you need more structure the the ribbing on a cuff is a great example if you look at the structure of that it has basically I beams kind of built into it, so where you get to a stress riser, a point where there's a lot of focus, concentration of stress, you can buttress that up and back it up with an I-beam or thicker material, things like that. So grillamid, big step forward for us. And then um, we wanted more, of course, because we always want more. (laughs) And we were finding A couple interesting things, a side story here. We were using a more and more carbon, but carbon has a really unique set of characteristics. It's not particularly user friendly as from a skier experience. It tends to be very stiff and it doesn't have any kind of progressive flex to it. It also is pretty fragile. And so we use it in our in our Schemo boots in the most the lightest weight boots some of those boots are $1,400. That's talking about cost prohibitive. But when we started working with Grilamid and the idea of why can't we b- start blending materials? And the, so the Grilamid LFT, long fiber technology was born, which is when you see the two-tone um, look of the Mistrale family, the, the Mistrale RS and the JRS, the black back half of the boot, a lot of the stress riser and in, and in, in inputting the energy into a ski comes through the back half of the boot. And so we initiate the turn, we finish the turn on the front of the boot, we finish the turn on the back. But when you hear people saying, well, wow, I really got in the back seat, when they're making references to when I lost control of my stuff, it's a lot of times I wasn't on top of my ski. I was I, I lost it laterally, I went in the back seat or something like that. So. We were trying to make cuffs stiffer. All of this was trying to match ski width in increments, because when we were skiing on a ski that was 80 under waist, you could do just about anything there, but now we're talking about skis that are 115, 120, some of those, and then you, depending on how big the person is and what kind of kit they're carrying in their pack, you can be talking about a 250 pound Person with fully equipped equipped, and then you do the force multiplier. After they huck a cliff, you are spiking into the thousands of pounds of force load,
0: which which is simply because of the, the the longer lever arm created by the wider
1: ski, right? And yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly, and the fact that we're cranking them now to twelve and fourteen. I mean. Every system's got a point of failure, and and where th- that is is going to be at the weak point. The f- The boots are the only thing that really move around. Like, we don't expect our ski to <laughs> change flex. It's, it is what it is. The bindings are pretty set. The boot, we expect to be able to walk around in it, to f- release the cuff, to fix the cuff, to do all those things. A lot of moving parts that have to lock down in that moment. So there's a lot more going on there. The but sticking to the materials, and and then we started adding carbon. So if you look at the the a, the a, the F one is a really great example. So it has a carbon core. The Freedom had a carbon core. So basically, we're over injecting um, on a kind of an inner skeletal system, if you will, of carbon. We're injecting the rest of the the boot around that. But if you look closely at the side at the around the heel of the F1, you see those windows, the black showing through? Yep. That's yep. carbon. Okay. So there imagine that there's a stirrup inside there that's carbon. The the place where you're going to see the most uh, the stress risers and the the loss of energy is in that hinge on the cuff to the to the foot of the boot. So that's where things start really flexing out. If you look at your boot on a carpet test, you step into your skis, you lock your boot in, and you drive really hard forward. You'll notice the cuff will kind of try to expand laterally out because the energy has to go somewhere. Especially when you're on dry land, you're not getting any of that absorption through the terrain or anything like that. So that's where we—that's how far we've gone so far. Um, of course, pure pure carbon, but that's not practical for most backcountry skiers. We're using carbon. In a lot of different ways to um, address stress riser and enhance certain areas of the boot that need to be i call it being buttressed up reinforced or to, to areas where we see the energy or the transmission of power being not where we see power not being transmitted but absorbed and absorbed into the boot so um those are the areas we've learned to focus on uh and Then there's this idea of we've got five, six different materials and how we use them in conjunction with each other. So most of our boots have, when you look at the description of the material, there's gonna be three different materials. The the shell, which we call the scafo, the foot part of the boot, the cuff, and the tongue. And um, you'll find in many of the newer boots, we've got grillamid, like the Mistrali family, or we'll use the XT as an example grillamid lft grillamid on the um in the
0: lft long fiber
1: technology yeah technology yeah. yep um grillamid and peabacks. and so tongues are a lot of times peabacks because they they really get a lot of flexing and that allows that that kind of progressive flex into the boot so, so with the XT, I'm looking at it right now on the wall,
0: so this is how I know this, <laughs> or know to ask. The p box is going to be the gray plastic?
1: That is grillamid. So you've got LFT in the back, grillamid in the front. So the,
0: LF, the, 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 the black grillamid is the LFT grillamid. Correct, yeah. Then the rest of the shoe or the clogger, I can't remember the term. Scaffo. Scaffo.
1: <laughs> very good, very <laughs> is good. Is
0: the gray grillamid. That's right. Okay. And then which 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 part of the boot is is, is Pebax then? The
1: tongue. So the tongue. The, okay. in that particular case we wanted stiff 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 all the way around. Yep. Yeah. And um yeah, to give you again, sorry your listeners can't hear this, but I Yeah, if 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 you're
0: listening, go to YouTube and you can check out if the is the, the scafo that I'm holding that's now. That's right. From and if you a, look Mistrali inside, RS. that's
1: a Mistrali yeah. RS. And you can see when you look inside, there are distinctly two different parts that come together. This the, is the, the black board. and the white. Right. Yeah. And this is what it looks like we, before we do the second injection. So you've got the forefoot, in this case, grillamid. The back end, the chassis end of the, the scafo is grillamid long fiber technology, LFT, the stiffest material we're using in our boots right now. And then um, grill mid-cuff, pee back's tongue. I think I got that right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of materials. <laughs> it, it is, you know, I feel a little, uh, you know, after all the jobs I've had, this was what I was would know best of all. And now I could tell you a lot more about other things you don't wanna hear about. But um, luckily I'm surrounded by all these really awesome and smart people who can help me keep on track here. But You know, I I still spend a lot of time around what does the boot feel like and uh, feeling is really where I start the discussion. We get so technical so fast and that's why I keep telling people, okay, do your homework and all that, but just go out and ski the boot. Just try it because the way it feels, don't let anybody convince you off the magazine reviews or the technology, go for the feeling and the comfort. So and also skiing is
0: just more fun than way more. in the shop or reading that's, a magazine. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: So the the material discussion is goes hand in hand. What are we going to make it out of? And then how are we going to make it? The design itself. So the subtle details of um, where we put a little extra material, the radius of certain turns, those are all really important to, to the function of the boot and actually the durability of the boot. And um, I, I can use a great case study that we're dealing with right now. is the Fall 17 Mistrali RS and Mistralle recall. And the the simple um, truth is that through a very small amount of material and a simple radius change, a radius is a common stress riser, we were able to fix what the problem very easily, very quickly, and we did it in fall 18. What we didn't know is, what we anticipated is that people will ski our boots forever, which they do. Um, Watching the return rates after so many um, subsequent seasons, I decided we can't, look, we're really committed to our consumer. (laughs) We are out there too. Like, it's one thing if your boot breaks and you're skiing, uh, you know, Breckenridge for the afternoon. So you just (laughs) limp down to the shop or hit the bar or whatever. But when you're on a week-long trip in Canada or out on the Cahillton Glacier or Baffin Island or wherever the crazy places that our friends and customers go and your boot breaks, your ski breaks, your binding fails, you're effed. And we all know it. And because most of us have been there, right? (laughs) And um, I take that so seriously. And I can't tell you how important it is to us to stand behind our products, be responsible. So when we saw the the breakage rate going up over a pretty long period of time, we made the decision that we should replace the scafo, the foot of all those boots, which you got to see, because I wanted you to see what it really looks like to do that for us. That's thousands of boots, lots of money, lots of time, but all worth it because I know that once we do that, everyone's boots will be good. So if anybody out there that has a Fall 17 Mistrale RS or Mistralle or that you're not sure what generation it is, please go to the SCARPA website and you can find very clear instructions on how to identify the generation, the year of your boot, and then what to do if you do have a Fall 17 boot. If you send it in, we'll pay the freight both ways. We'll f- replace the feet so you effectively have brand new boots uh, from the ankle down, I guess, <laughs> and send them back to you as quickly as possible. And uh, we will do that all um, as at your convenience, but we want you to do it as soon as possible so we can get get your boots good to go and not have any doubt. By the way, we've replaced the Scaffos on many, many boots so far, and the ones, the amount of boots that we found broken is minimal, is yeah. beyond minimal. So there's a lot of people that might second guess the decision to do that. But here's the bottom line. One pair of broken boots is one pair too many. Unfortunately, in the commercial industrial world that we live in, things will break. I've never, we've never made a product that somebody couldn't break. It's not always, many times it's like a little bit of a combination of that probably wasn't the right boot for that cliff jump or whatever, right tool for the right job. Um, being truthful about what's really going on and what you're trying to do with your products. And then we have a file we call JSA, just skiing along. I don't know how my broke broken half, I was just skiing along or the tip fell off my ski or whatever. Anybody in the industry knows the JSA story. So <laughs> in this case, really take the time to check out your boots and get them into us, so we can do the right thing for you and you'll be all set.
0: And we'll we'll also include a link in the show Thank notes you. of this podcast. You anyone who has those boots can go check out the Scarpa website yeah.
1: and take the proper yeah. steps. We're all here to help you sort it out and get you back on the road as quick as possible.
0: I think everyone who's listened to this podcast so far really is chomping at the bit as, as much as I am to see what's
1: wrapped up in that boot. Oh up yeah. There. Well um <laughs> I wanted to say a couple things about that. It is holiday as we noted earlier. And so I think that this is appropriate time. Um, I I believe, you know, you got to give love to get love. So uh, you gave us love coming here and I want to give you a little love by showing you kind of what's headed your way. I would also like to offer you the um, hot off the press. Fall 2000 workbook, which has all the new product with some detailed information in it. Ooh, I love catalogs. <laughs> if, you're, if you're not in the trade, this is how it kind of works. First, we introduce to the trade and we we uh, get the retailers and the media going. And then their job is to roll it out to you guys. So um, we're starting to build that, that ramp right now. And um, what I would like to... Uh, I guess the moment of truth here is that uh, I wanted to to offer this gift up as a preview into what's coming for next fall. It is a boot that will speak to some of the areas we were thinking about in the in the trends of where we see that kind of midweight light to midweight touring person going. And um, my colleague Melanie is much better at Christmas than I am, so, she took the time to wrap this up for you. And, so for, for um, those of you listening who who
0: aren't on YouTube, <laughs> it is a gift wrapped ski boot um, that Kim is giving me right now, and I, I wish I wish all of my Christmas presents were wrapped like this.
1: <laughs> if it doesn't look like that or isn't one hundred and eighty centimeters long and really skinny, why why, why would you, you even want, want it? it? To yeah. Leave it for last. Yeah. <laughs> So, may, may I? Please. May I, yeah. I, I, will, I will. I'll I'll tell you about right. it. It's uh, very light. I'll tell you that much right now. It's super light. Yeah. <laughs> it's on the light side. I think I
0: actually just saw it in the catalog before I oh. opened it up. Alright. So, this looks to be a, um, F, a light version of the F1. That's exactly right. This is Here, called
1: F1LT. It is a boot that will be replacing uh, the Alien RS. So if you love the Alien RS, you better go grab another pair right now because they're <laughs> going away. Um, the The idea of this boot is continuing to expand on that, that light touring, that mid-range touring. It has some red sparkles on it. That's really nice. I wonder where them. those came from. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a boot that, is uh, 990 grams it is rated at a 95 flex i think is where we ended up with that it has a little more traditional closure than the alien rs did so it's going to be um and as you noted the closure system on the cuff is very uh, impactful on the the skiability of the boot and the flex of the boot this is a, a boot designed for people that are using the rs probably currently well beyond the design parameters of that boot. (laughs) I know you guys, I see you out there every weekend, so don't try to hide from me. And half of you are my friends. So this is the boot I thought would be a nice supplement to your Alien or to your Alien RS. It is a little bit wider last. It's a hundred millimeter last, so it's going to be a little more touring comfort. Has a spoiler option, double power straps, it's pretty nice, and um, early reviews are people are raving about it. So, I think it's it's a it's a it's a bridging boot, as I like to say, something between the F one and the Alien RS or the Alien family, but something that will definitely be that boot for somebody who wants to do um, mid weight backcountry and still ski up the the resort in the morning for fitness. Uh, it's a perfect choice for that. I think you'll be really happy with it. And did I did I was there something else I was supposed to tell you about that? It looks really cool. That's one thing I would say. The black and orange is pretty sweet. <laughs> it, it, it's pretty cool. I think that um, I think that is in terms of where I see it. Um, this is really what people are looking for, and we do see a lot of broken Schemo boots. And it's exactly what I just said. I wasn't joking. People are going way beyond what they were designed for. And so we wanted to, instead of, you know, complaining about that, it's it's better as a parent, it's better to redirect and try to change behavior. So I'm saying this is a better boot for you guys and and get them interested in, in this direction. But Um, I ski this boot. I've skied it on everything that I skied in F1 and sometimes my Mistrales are on. And you'll be surprised. And I, I, sorry, I think I got the numbers wrong. It's a hundred, we're ranking it at a hundred flex. We're rating it 100 in flex and it's a 99 millimeter last. I think I got those two numbers somehow confused. But um, it's out being tested extensively right now all over the world. It will be available for Sam to write it, I think, in <laughs> about a month at the OR show and on Snow Demo, unless he's made arrangements with some of my colleagues to do that earlier. And um, for those of you that are in the consumer world, you'll see this boot showing up in early fall 20, in September, something like that. But stay tuned. You'll see a lot more once uh, Lou Dawson sees it and a lot of other people that are, will talk about this. I'm sure you'll see a lot more um, reports on um, on the boot from, from those guys, which well, are probably better. I am very excited to check this out. This thing looks pretty rad.
0: Um, and thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and talk with us. I don't think there's
1: a more exciting way we could probably end this podcast, but... Thanks again. I really appreciate you guys coming in and spending time with us. And it really is uh, great to talk about the things that I'd love uh, to do. And um, I could say in closing, your work makes our work easier and our our final products better. So thanks for that collaboration. Well, thank you for the kind words.
0: And thanks for your time today. Um, and yeah, we'll talk soon. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Kim. That's it for this episode of Gear 30. Thanks to Kim for the conversation. Thanks to Luke Alley for producing this episode and thank you for listening. If you're enjoying these Gear 30 episodes, please spread the word to your Gearhead friends. Be safe out there and we'll talk to you again next week.